Welcome to the Known Experience Podcast. This is the last pod of 2023. Sean, welcome. Yes, sir. Let's go. It's it's been a little bit of time off here. Yeah, we we've both been uh, busy, but I'm I'm excited to wrap the year up. Yeah, yeah. So are the New England Patriots. I think. Um, <sighs> Come on, man. We won't get into Cowboys and Patriots here, yeah. but what we do want to talk about is well, first talk about, you know, this is our first year of doing this. It's when we started out, it, it was really more about doing a passion project together than this specific idea of helping men grow in self-awareness and curiosity. But that was the kind of the vehicle for us to do this together. Um, but it's not just been something where we've been like putting out content for other people it's greatly impacted us a month to month or every couple of weeks to do one of these. So I'll just start by asking you, Sean, like what, how's it impacted you to be having these conversations regularly and talking to interesting people? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it, it, it brings into focus a little bit more structures, just a lot of the internal desires that I've and struggles that I've had for the past couple of years. And part of being middle-aged creates a little bit of a framework and intentionally, you know, makes you and I communicate too. I think that's the beauty, beautiful thing about it is, you know, we're, we have a really close relationship, but like most guys living in Dallas and I'm out here in Carolina, weeks can pass pretty quickly. Right. And this mm -hmm. really helped kind of blend the, you know, this project, but then you inevitably talk about your life. So it's been, it's been good. I think for just my relationship with you and just kind of working through some of this stuff hearing other people's stories can make you feel a little less crazy or alone or whatever you may be in. <laughs> yeah. How about you, my man? Yeah, man. It's like you said, we talked earlier about how it's kind of, it, it causes you to communicate more when you do a project together. It also changes the din dynamic of that friendship in some ways, because before it's just us catching up whenever we talk. And now it's like, Hey, John, have you edited that podcast? We said we were going to release it a week ago. What are you doing, man? <laughs> well, so just so all of you know, John is much more into the audio quality than I am. So yeah, if, if you ever get to know me, if I do a project, I tend to, I like completing whatever it is. John's like, it's got to sound good. <laughs> and so that was our struggle. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's good to have. It's good to have both, right? Yeah, no, it is. But yeah, it's so it's been good for that. But for me, just the discipline of on a regular basis, having these kinds of conversations and, you know, it's like if you listen to a certain podcast on a regular basis that enriches a certain part of your life, it's a discipline of learning that's going to have positive impact. Sure. And so this, this has definitely done that for me. You know, we're going to, in this episode, we're going to recap those conversations and talk about what stood out to us the most on each one. And I encourage you, if you haven't listened to our first one, where Sean and I just kind of outlined the idea, the vision for this podcast, encourage you to go back and listen to that one because it really helps set a vision for what we're doing here. But with that said, let's get into our, our other guests and we won't spend a ton of time on each one, but just we're going to talk about what stood out to us about each of our uh, guests over the last year. And first one I'm going to hit is our most recent Max Skinner Movember Foundation. I grew a beautiful Fu Manchu for this interview. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you what stood out to me was this statistic that about 75% of all suicides are men. 
Um, and one suicide happens every 60 seconds with a man. And a little, I delved a a little deeper into that. And about 70% of all suicides are white males, usually middle-aged white men, which is pretty, pretty interesting. And Mm -hmm. definitely makes me curious about a lot of reasons behind that. But I shared a graph with you of, of men's happiness and research over when in life men are the most happy and the least happy. And the, the lowest point of happiness for men is age 53, which is, I'm 53. So I was like, it's all uphill from here or downhill, or it's going to get better from here. <laughs> and I'll post the graph in the YouTube. But, but then at 63, men start to divert and some get happier and some get sadder less happy. And I think that's based on what they do in their retirement. And if they have a reason for living beyond just making money and raising their kids, because if that's their reason for living, and it probably has been for the last 40 years, that's gone. Right. And now what, where do they find their happiness? Yeah. 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 I I mean, I think I, I think I, I'm not quite there, but I, I understand it. And I think that there's, mm-hmm. yeah, there has to be an intentionality. I, I literally this week, it was weird. I, I, maybe I live in the future too much, but yeah, I was thinking about, um, an empty house when my kids are gone and it's just a terrifying thought to me. And I like m- my wife and I have a great time together, but the energy of a, of the home will be totally different. Right. And like, um, yeah, it's a really terrifying thought and I don't even, and I don't know how you replace that. You don't replace that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that the season in life accommodates for it. So it shifts. And again, you have a different purpose and meaning, but for me, that's a, and I think that's why you can't borrow from the future. Right. That is a, the lesson to learn. You don't know what you're going to be in 10 years or where you're going to be at, but I, I do think you have to plan for it. Right. Like you can't passively wait. And I think maybe men, because we're so focused on maybe the provision aspect and the family aspect that we, we aren't cultivating parts of us to prepare the field for what's to come. So we get there and it's nothing's, nothing's grown because we haven't even really cultivated it. And so then you're left with, I'm in the last part of my life. Wow. You know, what do I do mm-hmm. when it feels like too late? That's a, so again, looking into the future, I, I really want to be, you know, meaning, have some meaningful yeah, things that I'm, I'm working on, but. Yeah. I mean, I think I've seen men that had the financial means to do everything they wanted to in their retirement. And they play golf five days a week and they bought the sports car they always wanted. And they go out to dinner five nights a week with their wife. And I think it doesn't take too long for them to find out this is nothing to motivate you for the rest of your life. Right. 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 Um, Yeah. But I think those stats, man, man, I, I, it's really odd what we don't focus on as a society. I don't, when that, when they're that, apparent right there's not it's not like interpretation yeah (laughs) it's pretty it is pretty binary right like so yeah it's one of those things i mean it's just you don't have to convince anybody that money doesn't buy happiness 
And you don't have to convince anybody that just being busy and working all the time is no life. But yet it's so hard to convince people to follow a different path, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, especially with the stats, right? You know, I was talking yeah. about the stats, really. I mean, like, what what is it about middle-aged white men, mm-hmm. right? Like, what is it? I, I think that's, you know, we, we have a lot of drugs to treat depression, but like, what are we doing? Yeah. You know, I, and I he, he also a- pointed out that there are more men in therapy than ever before. And I'm a big supporter of therapy, but it's not decreasing the suicide rates. Now, right. I mean, you could say that those guys are likely not the ones go into therapy, but I don't know. Right. Like, I don't know the, um, the, you know, the, the numbers below the surface on that. Yeah. Yeah. But Hey, shout out to uh, Max and uh, Movember foundation. They raise more money for men's health than anybody else in the world. And they're doing great stuff. So check them out, support them next year. Well, on that note, on that yeah. feel good note, <laughs> next is your buddy, Kevin McAvoy, who you were in, where were you? Africa? Yeah, Uganda, yeah. Uganda with working with Watoto Foundation. And he's a painter. And, but he's also way more than a painter, right? This guy has incredible depth. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what are your rem- memories from, from that conversation with Kevin? And you've known him for way longer, but what stood out? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've only known him for the two weeks we spent together. The rest has been separate. But yeah, I mean, I like, like I said, he, he, and I, in our, rerun or not a rerun but our at the end of the podcast this is the same thing i, I just really respect well, not even respect i admire his ability to really see life like a child almost still you know it's pretty fascinating to listen to him even you know his interaction with his wife and his curiosity to listen to people and care for them it's pretty it's pretty amazing i mean i i'm not there (laughs) even with my with my wife like when he talks i'm like dang dude Mm -hmm. he really loved people Um, i mean that's part of what i've loved about the podcast is it challenges me in in ways that i'm content or just even unaware of right like Right. right um he talked about how he's painted politicians on both sides of the aisle and found great things in both of them prisoners uh and that was just from him driving past a prison every day and going hmm i should go paint those guys or draw those guys and going and asking if he could and then orphans and their caregivers in africa in how just the the common thread of humanity that he discovered in all of those people I think we miss out on a lot when we stick just around our tribe of people that we look like and think like, and we, we miss so much in understanding humanity and having empathy. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it almost sounded like for him, the, the process in order for him to even paint well, he needs to maintain the level of openness that he has because that's what in him explaining how he painted it was largely built out of how he saw people right so it wasn't like looking at this guy sitting there and he he painted exactly what he saw it it was i don't know if you remember that but it wasn't that yeah so there there is 
something important for his craft. I think yeah. he needs to keep that sharp, just like he would his pencils, because otherwise his paintings won't probably won't satisfy him as an artist. So yeah, I think he said he can't just do portraits just for the sake of making money. It's it's really something he's got to be um, into, like connected into, and and you know invest his heart in. Um, yeah. There was one story that he shared that's very transferable to us. And he talked about he was painting this boy. Mm -hmm. It was a friend of his son's. Yeah. And he had had kind of finished the face, basically. And this kid tilted his head and he was very, the kid was very smart and almost kind of precocious. Yeah. And he tilted his head in a certain way. And Kevin was like, oh my gosh, that's him. That head tilt, that look in his eye. And he wiped off everything he'd already done and started over and what did that what did that mean to you like how did that like in in the way that we think about and kind of set create caricatures of people you know well i i think we tend to reinforce whatever we see right we're unwilling to to wipe the slate clean and Mm -hmm. kind of check ourselves I know I'm guilty of that, right? Yeah. If you're annoyed by some, I don't know, someone in a certain way, or it doesn't matter if nine out of 10 times they don't do that one time, you're like, see, they did it again. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is who they are. And yeah. so, yeah, that's just a challenge. Definitely a challenge to see people or, or be willing to, to check yourself and start, start fresh. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that he has to do with every with every portrait that he paints, you know. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Mitch Isle, therapist, works specifically primarily with men and men's needs. I mean, he really is a believer in collaborative practices, not just psychotherapy, but massage therapy and nutrition and all of that, which is so important. Like, you know, if your doctor is not asking you how well are you sleeping? What are you eating? Are you exercising? Before they delve into anything else, you've got a problem, right? And I love that Mitch yeah. sees things very holistically, like all affects our psyche and our mood and everything. Yeah. What what stood out to you from our conversation with Mitch? Do you want me to start? Yeah. No, okay. I, I I think you should start. I I feel like a lot of things that stood out, I don't want to rehash what I've already said yeah. about them, but... Yeah, okay. go ahead. We talked about men's needs, and that was that was what he said he wanted to talk about. He's working on a book on that right now. And I'll say going into it, my thought was, okay, we're gonna talk about men's needs. Like, what do most men need? Kind of in a stereotypical way. Uh, right. What are our physical, mental, emotional needs? But he was really more talking about on a personal basis, being self-aware of what do I need today? What do I need in this moment? Why am, how am I feeling? Not just emotionally, but physically. And why am I feeling like being curious about yourself and then learning to articulate those things with the people closest to you. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, that's, that's been big for me rather than just pressing through, Oh, this is, I'm having a bad day or I'm feeling this way today and just keep going, taking a moment to stop and go, why am I thinking this way? Why am I feeling this way? What can I do to like regulate that and and move out of that space if it's not where I want to be? Yeah. Yeah. 
I, you know, it was, it was funny. I received a text from my wife on the way here and she was like, listen, the house is a mess. We're cleaning up Monday before my parents come. I just don't want you to be upset. I know it's been a mess for the past week, but you know, and it's funny because the only times, you know, to that point, the only time that I want to clean it all up, it's actually in that moment, you know, <laughs> I think Mitch would be proud in that moment. I was like, I only come in. I'm like, why is the house a mess when I feel like I, I am out of control internally, right? There's too much mm-hmm. going on. And I, and so I'm like, pick that up, put that, clean this up. It's a physical way for me to organize and control something because I feel Mm -hmm. out of control with my emotions and I feel like I can't talk about it. And, and it made me smile. That's great. Yeah. But you know, it's, I, again, these conversations have made me a little bit more because before I'd be like, the house is a mess. We need to clean this up. Mm -hmm. And that's, but I was like, man, this is, and Rob's helped with that too. This is actually a me problem. It's not the mess problem. Yes. I mean, I had my end of the year appointment with my therapist this past week and I was really celebrating some growth. And one of those was definitely recognizing like how much I've shifted from blaming and focusing on others around me, not being who I want them to be to letting go of that and releasing that and accepting who they are. And man, it brings so much more peace to life because I can't control them. Right. Right. But, but I think what you said is so important when I work with people or know people who are super micromanagers and very controlling, it is almost always, there is something major in their life that they feel like they can't control, or maybe their whole life feels out of control. And so they're trying to control everything that they can. And that even goes to like eating disorders, all right. kinds of things where people try to hyper control something. It's, it's usually more of an internal thing. So that's something yeah. we can use to check ourselves. And I'm, I'm proud of you, Sean. <laughs> Thanks, man. That's great. That's great. Well, I will share this, this quote from Carl Jung that has become one of my most favorite over the last couple of years. And he says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will rule your life and you will call it fate. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. And that sounds like, I mean, from the outside, that sounds like very new agey, psychoanalytic. The reality of what he's saying is we all have instincts and attitudes that are, have become kind of wired into us uh, in the way that we have coping techniques and the way that react to things based on usually our childhood and upbringing, what we've been through. And as long as we let those things be on autopilot, we're going to get the same results, the same outputs. And we're going to just say, well, this always happens to me. Yeah. And the reality is we are choosing certain people. We're choosing certain things. We're choosing certain attitudes and there is something driving those choices. And until we do some work to figure out what's driving those choices, it will rule our life and we'll call it fate. And that's, I've found that to be so true. And I I think that was one of the things we brought up with Julius, right? Mm -hmm. That's a good good segue. That's our next discussion. Yeah. Let's Uh, talk about Julius. Yeah. I I mean, that was, that 
it's beautiful. You know, I think we said just as much about his story. I mean, just an incredible, again, man, it's just an incredible person that's able to, and we we don't share these stories enough. The, The people that can recognize their situation, but they don't blame others. They still believe in their, in in themselves somehow they rise above, they doubt, they fear, they rise above, but only by going through, right. They're not, they're not waiting for someone to rescue them. And there's like a, there's a balance, right? We need, we obviously all need help sometimes, Mm -hmm. but he refused for anything in his life to be fate. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what I love with his story was just this and how he's doing amazing things. I mean, he was just with, Golden State Warriors, you know, talking to their team or something. I mean, he's doing it's cool. It's if you if you haven't listened to the podcast, Julius Thomas, this guy did not play football until his senior year of college. He between his junior and senior year, he thought, I've always wanted to play football. I'm gonna give it a shot. And he went and tried out his senior year of college, and he became a seven-year NFL veteran, two-time pro bowler. And then after retiring, he went back to school, got his master's and is working on his doctorate in psychology. And this guy grew up, had a rough life growing up. And I think when I look at him and especially Kurt Majit, another NFL player, college standout, noble athlete, both of them said that they learned resilience through a difficult childhood. Yeah, Every day in childhood was overcoming challenges figuring things out and as an adult going back to school or or learning a new trade or a new career it was just like oh this is what i do i figure things out and i overcome adversity i've done it my whole life and it really made me think about you know what about suburban kids who have very little difficulty in life they're not wondering where their next meal is going to come from. They're not wondering how they're going to get home from school without getting beat up. And not that I want kids to grow up with that, but if on top of that, their parents are giving them everything they want and they're not learning any kind of like work ethic and they're not, you know, they're getting the shoes they want and it's not even their birthday and they're getting the $150 Nikes. And where do those kids learn resilience? That's what it made me think about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a dad of two kids, what, how does that, how do you balance that of teaching your kids resilience without like just being overbearing on them all the time? Right. No, I mean, I think that's a, that's a million dollar question. Right. <clears throat> but it's just like everything else. The, the balance is, is an individual decision, right? I think every kid, every family, there isn't a one size fits all approach, but um, you have to be dialed into your kids right? First of all, you have to be dialed into yourself and kind of understand, not just kind of pacify all your needs and desires when you want it because because you can, and it doesn't really fix anything for you either, but you do it for your kids. So I think there's, it's, there's, it's multi-layer, right? Like how, how disciplined are you? How tuned into your kids are you? What, what are you protecting them from? And then what are you giving them, right? I think that's what I struggle with is there's a lot of things in this world that I do want to protect my 12 year old daughter from. Yeah. Right. I don't want her to go through uh, to be sexually assaulted when she's a teenager. Right. And they're like, Oh, you, you made it through. You're resilient. 
that's not what I want. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like that balance in social media can't be on social media. Why? Because it's the data shows if they, the earlier they start the level of depression in, in teen years is astronomical for teenage mm -hmm. girls. So I want to protect her from that. Right. I don't want her to have resilience from teenage depression due to social media. Yeah. Right. That's negligence on my behalf. So I think it's just a difficult line, but it's the, the answers there, but it, it might be a little bit fluid and it requires some wisdom that we just tend to not, I think in our culture, because we are building comfortable lives, that's our focus, right? That we, we don't even see the value in it. Really resilience is, is only for those that have to be there, mm -hmm. right? In that space. Yeah. It's seen um, as a negative. It's seen as like a yeah. lacking, you right. know, I, I mean, something I hear, you know, all the time from people is I'm, I'm working so much or both of us are working so much so we can give our kids the life that we want them to have. And I mean, I'll just say the life that they want to have is probably more time with their parents, believe it or not. But yeah, that, that I don't know any kid that, that turned out to be an amazing person because their parents gave them what they wanted. Right. Right. No, it's yeah, but that's a cultural, I mean, that's, it's a, you know, I, I also feel for a lot of, you know, middle American, you know, upper middle class, because that's just, that is our cultural message, right? Mm -hmm. There's not, there's not a focus on how to build a healthy family. It's mm -hmm. just not there, right? It's how to make everyone, the, the message is how can you, how can you, it's not about the family unit, right? It's how can you be your best self and the happiest version of yourself, mm -hmm it's as simple as that in our culture. So it's not about resilience, right? I, I think any sort any form of resilience is really cloaked in this. If a kid is going, has to be resilient, it's they were bullied or there's racism or bigotry or sexism, you know, like all these things that shouldn't exist in life, mm -hmm. right? Like we're, we're saying like, like we're going to somehow eradicate them. And so I think culturally we just, again, we send so many mixed messages that, yeah are confusing, but, but it just takes time and awareness. One thing from Julius that really surprised me and kind of changed the way I look at pro football players is we said, what was that like going back to school, going back to graduate school after being a football yeah. player in the NFL? And how have you been so successful in that in, in learning neuroscience and all these things? And he said, what I learned in football was completely transferable to graduate school. As a professional football player, I learned to show up, don't have your phone out. He said, I'd get fined $5,000 for having my phone out in a meeting in the NFL. Show up, be present, listen, be teachable, follow directions, and persevere. Right. And so that's what I did in school. And while these other kids were goofing around with daddy's money, not studying, I, I did what I did in football. And so... Uh, another thing I heard Peyton Manning recently on the Smartless podcast, and they said, give us a play that you bring to the huddle. Like, what's that sound like? You know, you're known for Omaha, Omaha. What's the play? And he rattles off this paragraph and then he breaks it down. He's like, well, the first part, this is how these guys are going to line up. This is a uh, second part is these are the guys that are going to go in motion. Now, once they go in motion, if the defense shifts this way, we know they're man to man. If they shift that way, they know it's a zone. So the second half of this paragraph is another play that I'm giving out in the event that I call an audible, which is Omaha because of the way the defense responds to this, this, and this. And I'm like, you That's can't complex. be dumb. You can't be dumb and be an NFL football player. Like 
to memorize all that and remember how to respond to it. And so between what Julia said and what uh, Peyton said, this is totally separate from the podcast. I was like, man, I, when I watch football games now, I'm like, those guys are, they're working hard, not just with their bodies, but with their minds. Right. With their mind. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 That's good. All right. On that, let's go to, well, we'll just jump to the other NFL player, Kurt Majit. He was a national standout at University of Tennessee, played for the Indianapolis Colts. His his rookie year, nine games in, had a, has, had a career-ending injury. But he talked about two things that stood out to me, identity, foreclosure, and then Kaizen, which I've seen a lot more of since I've heard from him. But identity, foreclosure, tell, well, start with Kaizen. Tell me what you know about it, what you remember about it. No, it's just inter- incremental change, right? And I'm a big fan of that. I think that's a, it's really the only way, right? Otherwise you have a lot of stops and starts in your life. A lot of mm-hmm. continued or repeated mistakes, same mistakes. Um, your discipline will fail or you won't have discipline. Right. But if you're focused on like the continual building, yeah, which, which requires, you know, patience and kind of grace for yourself. Right. It's like, Oh, I don't mm-hmm. need to, Boom, boom. I need to just. Yeah. Yeah. I think in our, this hustle culture and we kind of have an entrepreneurial culture, even though. Oh, it's massively glorified. Most people aren't entrepreneurs. There's so many people have side hustles and, and there's this just like, you know, I, I think we, we, especially those of us that like, like to dream big we overestimate what we can do in the short term and we get discouraged and we underestimate what we can do in the long term through being faithful to just continued personal improvement. Yeah. And incremental, like you said, like if, if, if I have a 10% growth in income every year, that's good. If I lose 10% of my body weight for the next two years, it's great. I, at some point I'm going to have to stop losing weight. Right. Right. But in work, business, in life, a lot of times we look for that 30, 40, 50% improvement and we get discouraged. So Kaizen is just a commitment to continual, small, compounding improvements, right? Yeah. Identity foreclosure is a, it's a great word or a great phrase that I think we've all experienced. And it kind of ties back to Kevin McAvoy's idea of being willing to erase the painting that is there. And that is like, what have people told us about who we are that we've believed and we've kind of fallen into that caricature of ourselves, which limits our ability to become more. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, yeah. I actually had forgotten until you brought that up. Yeah. Anything with you that you feel like you fell into, like, this is who I am. It's kind of the character or the role I've got to play. And, and like later in life, you realize that's not who I am or who I want to be. It's just something I agreed to. I don't know. It's more the, you know, I, and maybe it's a childhood thing, but the, I always felt like I had to be the lighthearted jokester. Life is good. Right. Like let's just hug our way through it guy. Right. Which lended towards community, right. Be the warm, fuzzy guy that, you know, pain and depression, there's no room here for it. And And I think even now that's what I'm 
struggling with letting go of that, right? I some somehow I feel like I'm disappointing people if I don't maintain that level of, you know. I remember my father-in-law said one time, you know, he's like, "Oh, you're definitely not the guy that you were when mm. you, you know when you were first with Nat. You were funny and you're lighthearted." I'm like, it's like 20 years less life on you, and you know, you're just you're largely playing a role because that's a defense mechanism at, at the time for me. If I look back on it, you have, are you saying you haven't always been the old curmudgeon that you are today? No. And I'm not, yeah, I'm not an old curmudgeon. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You know, I think it's just expectations, right. Of yourself. And, um, but it all goes back to belonging, right? I think we all do what we want to do because we want to be part of a, whatever mm-hmm. group we want to be part of throughout mm-hmm. our life, yeah. right? And that's when you're 16 or 36 or 56, right? I mm-hmm. think there's anyone that says they get over that is full of it. I think how we show up in that, maybe the quantity that we require is different, but mm-hmm. you know how we want to be perceived and belong in this world is a powerful motivator to creating an identity that achieves that. And so, again, like the cost of shutting down that identity, right? Like for closing on it, we don't really know what the what it's the fallout's going to be. Yeah, I mean, right? I think he said from the time he was six, he was told you're going to be a football player, right? And then you know his rookie year when he gets injured and can't play football, you talk about your identity foreclosure is is not just a philosophical concept; it's an impossibility. Like you've yeah. got to discover who am I and why do I want to live? What do I want to do with the rest of my life? Yeah. And I think we tried to tease that out of him a little bit. And I think that's mm-hmm. where I, I would still like a round two with him, right? Like mm-hmm. round two raw <laughs> with Kurt. Cause he's mm-hmm. so positive. I have a hard time. I'm a little bit cynical. Like mm-hmm. when people are just like, no, I, I just got through it. I'm like, man, you had to have a lot of dark yeah. days. Right. Because yeah, it's not just about you. It's about a community. It's about family. You could have supported in a career in the mm-hmm. NFL, right? You can provide for a lot of people. Expectations making... on your life, people that yeah. used to call you and text you all the time, but now that there's no benefit in it for them, what do you, how do you feel about those relationships when you, yeah, I mean, I've, I, and you have experienced that on a small scale and it hurts mm-hmm. ne- never yeah. mind an NFL yeah. scale. Yeah. Right. So hot ah, dang, man. I mean, that's, it's tough. It's tough yeah. stuff. So, yeah. Well, I think this whole idea of self-discovery, discovering your subconscious, your unconscious and your shadow self, all of those things, which if, if you're new to the kind of popular psychology therapy world, those all sound like just word salad, but they, they, they're real. And it's, right. um, the more, um, you can, can really accept stuff. You can, know who you are and who you choose to be uh, not because other people told you to be that person but because you choose and it's very freeing like it's incredibly and you know i joke about you becoming an old curmudgeon but there is a a degree where life uh wears on you and you um aren't quite as optimistic but there's also a degree where you just don't care what other people think right. as much right and that's there's a lot of freedom in that yeah Right. Yeah. I think that's the curmudgeon part, right? Like that's what young people say, mm-hmm. but that's because I, I mean, a lot of them are so disconnected from their, you know, you're like, dude, you, you are dressed to the T when you go out 
all the time. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Oh, because I like to. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. <laughs> that yeah. is not why you do that, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, oh, I just love fashion. Well, maybe, right. maybe, maybe, maybe you yeah. also love people thinking that you look great, telling you that all the time. Right. Yeah. You know, for me, I won't tease this out. I'll, I'll, I'll make it short and sweet. For me, <laughs> we, and we haven't talked about this openly on this podcast. I'm going to drop it right here. But in another life, I was a pastor and I was actually Sean's pastor. And from the age of about 20 to 42, I was told you're a leader. You're a leader in the church. You're going to, you need to do big things you're and even when i stepped down from being a pastor it was always like when are you going to pastor again what are you going to pastor next when you know my mom is still sad that i'm not a pastor somewhere she still Mm -hmm. wonders when when are you going to get a church and there's i have zero desire to do that again and but stepping away from all of that and all the adoration and the expectations and the perceived esteem that people put on you i was when i moved back to texas i was just taking temp work because I needed something. And I got a job with a catering company and I showed up at this Baptist mega church in my little black pants and my cummerbund and my fake tuxedo shirt for a women's luncheon. And this was an auditorium of like 200 people sitting around these round tables. I was serving their lunch and there was a guy that was the speaker. And I remember um, I'm picking up dirty dishes and this guy's speaking and I'm hoping to get some of the leftovers in the back for lunch. And I look up and I see this guy and I go, a year ago, I was that guy. But today I'm this guy. And there's a song in it. There's a line in a Coldplay song, Viva La Vida, where he says, you sweep the streets that you used to own. And I was like, yeah, the, I kind of feel that right now. But man, was it a amazing and wonderful, like, um, raking of identity foreclosure for me and discovering, do I want to be that guy or do, do I just want to be that guy? Cause it feels good for people to like, look at you and like you, what do I really want to do? And I got to start all over again. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. So, and sometimes, it. I mean, sometimes uh, I think the reality of the situation is right for, for Kurt or for you or, for me, you can go through that process and maybe the, as great as Kurt's life is now, right. And how he's still killing it. Mm-hmm. Maybe he still would die to be that football player again. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that was, that was the dream for him. Mm-hmm. Right. So sure. People told him he achieved it, but I think the difficult part is your life can be more how do i how do i say this may not ever be as outwardly as accomplished maybe your ego will never be stroked the way that it it was maybe others won't value you but you'll be the most whole you'll ever be on the other side and i think there's an unwillingness for a lot of people that that trade-off isn't worth it Mm -hmm. right like they, I think a lot of people would have served those dishes and then clawed like hell to be back in a position in a year because the feeling of 
not being worth it in other people's eyes is too much. It's, it's worth sacrificing who you are mm-hmm. for that. And I think a lot of people go through life into death and concede that. Right. And I think that's a large part of what we're trying to do, especially with men. I think a lot of men do that. I think that's why the suicide rates are high because the distortion and the dissonance becomes so great that the only choice is to shut the machine down. I wonder if that suicide rate among, you know, middle-aged white men is, has to do with people getting everything they thought they wanted and they're still not happy. Right. Like you hear, you hear the stories, the guys that win the lottery, the guys that win the Super Bowl. They, they're like, Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey said, everyone should be a celebrity so they can realize the answer isn't down there. Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) for some people, they lost it, not by choice, you know, like, like Kurt, uh, didn't choose for that dream to end. I chose to change, but I also thought I was going to just take a year off and then jump right back in where I was. And, and that was not the case that that path did not open up for me, but then there's people who do it by choice. You know, I have a friend that was a very successful real estate broker and she walked away from all of it to work at REI and live in a one bedroom apartment and just drastically change her um her lifestyle and Mm -hmm. she was like this is what i want to do i want to spend my weekends camping or hiking or adventuring i want to live in that work in that space during the week and i'm willing to take a significant cut in in income to do that and i would say most people don't make that choice willingly most people that experience it it happens to them but as a lot of people will say, it doesn't just happen to you. It happens for you if you mm. choose to lean into it. Right. So, yeah, I like that. Well, we are only halfway through John. So for the sake of you and I, and mostly the listeners, we should, we should break this up because I think, you know, the, one of the things I don't want to do is rush through a lot of this stuff, right? So there's a lot of great content to go over. So we're going to break it up. So we're going to pick this back up on the next episode, but glad you joined us on the known experience. We hope the holiday season so far has been one of just peace and new expectation for the new year. So for today, it's been a pleasure to be with you for John. We hope you experience the power of being known this week and we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Take care.